0: the pivot within the climate movement away from just focusing on the future that we don't want towards the future that's possible is so mm-hmm. important it's my favorite cognitive bias is is called the availability cascade and it says that which is you know this shared vision that which is available to us cascades into becoming reality right there's these kind of self-reinforcing self-determined mm-hmm. futures for us I'm
1: putting down my rifle and
2: Welcome to Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club, where we are just trying with your help to make the world 10% nicer by every means necessary. I'm your host, Todd Brilliant, and today's guest, Amanda Ravenhill, is working tirelessly to further develop and expand the vision of R. Buckminster Fuller, who's who's one of the greatest human minds, and seriously, no exaggeration, to have ever walked our shared mothership Earth. Amanda is the executive director of the Buckminster Fuller Institute, where she and her colleagues, you know, they're not administering a uh, sarcophagus, you know, some sort of tomb dedicated to a dead man's work. Though Bucky Fuller is dead, yeah. No, they're furthering the scope of Fuller's dreams. They're going beyond them as they work to make the world way more than 10% nicer. Now, if you don't know who Buck Mr. Fuller was, a real quick synopsis for you, but you'll learn plenty through Amanda in just a couple of minutes. Uh, he was an American architect, systems theorist, author, designer, inventor, futurist, and so much more. He published 30-something books, and he was way, 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 way ahead of his time. Where um, people like Elon Musk, you know, he was a man, is a man of his time, who expertly synthesizes and commodifies obvious trends. Uh, Fuller's mind was just 10 levels ahead, sometimes too far ahead, so that his design ideas just, they couldn't be manifested within his era of technology. Um, Fuller's really famous for his geodesic dome, which took form in Disney's Spaceship Earth EPCOT Center. I've never been there. Never been. Uh, And a bunch of other buildings you see everywhere. You see these geodesic domes everywhere. Uh, He had innovative maps. Uh, his, His deeper impact may be on our thinking, though, just human thinking. He was one of the first modern Western thinkers to connect architecture, to ecology, to the environment, and and to really see how systems thinking would be part, the critical part, of an utterly critical path to saving the world from hyper-consumption. And Amanda? Amanda is no slouch herself. Beyond her role as Executive Director of BFI, she's also co-founded Project Drawdown, which is billed as the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming. Yeah. Uh, Amanda, she doesn't think small. She refuses to believe that we're doomed and has dedicated every iota of her energy toward drastically changing the world for the better during her lifetime. And, um, and if after listening to her, you want to connect directly with Amanda and work alongside her and hundreds of other dedicated, super nice humans. You should, really, you should really enroll in her regeneration course. It's a five-week online course on how to think like nature and design a world that meets the needs of 100% of life. This is a brand new, immersive, connective online course on regenerative agriculture. It's, yeah, it's online, but you'll be taking action in the real world with real-world projects that will enrich your home, neighborhood, community community world, right? So sign up. There's a a link in the show notes. You can also find a link to it at bfi.org. The course runs September 27th to October 29th. And maybe you think, oh, but today's September 28th or 30th or whatever, but you're not too late. You know why? You know why? You know why? Because Amanda already thought of that. And she uses a Dymaxian calendar that renders things like sign-up deadlines totally immaterial, Because if you're using a Dymaxian calendar, there's no such thing as too late. Seriously. So just go sign up. All right. You ready? Let's do this. Let's turn off everything else. Let's tune out the rest of the world and drop in to Nice Work with Amanda Ravenhill. Amanda, Amanda Ravenhill, thank you for being on the podcast on Nice Work today.
0: Hi. Hi. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you.
2: (laughs) Where's here for you? Where are you right now? What city? What state? What place?
0: I am on unceded territory of the Miwok people, also known as Marin County, California, just north of San Francisco in San Rafael.
2: San Rafael. That is a beautiful spot. As you know, I lived up in Sonoma County for 20 years, so I'm pretty familiar with Marin County. But man, what a gorgeous piece of the planet.
0: Yeah, I look out and see Mount Tamalpais uh, from my desk, and it's uh, it's inspiring to have that spirit of you know mountain energy, that that steadiness in these um, what I like to call awkward times, as the good news gets better and the bad news gets worse. Uh, it's really hard to know. <laughs>
2: I like that. I'm going to use that. These are awkward times. How are you doing in these awkward times? Yeah. (laughs) I think everybody will get it because they're wildly awkward. And there's really no other, there's no way to answer that that isn't awkward either. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And Uh. the future can be simultaneously awesome or awful, depending on how you look at things. Uh, And, you know, the more we are super nice to one another and super nice to nature, then we'll be able to, you know, at least have a chance towards the, the awesome side of things.
2: I agree, which is why you're on today, because uh, the the institute at which you are the executive director, um, Buckminster Fuller Institute, is one that I really believe. I really believe in. I really believe in the mission. I really believe in its ability to make our world a nicer place. I want to talk about the institute before that, though. Remind me, because I have a terrible uh, memory. Did we meet originally? Was that at 350.org when you were um, working with 350 and I was at Post Carbon?
0: It's true. Yeah, it was in okay. 2009 in Copenhagen.
2: And it was in Copenhagen, mm-hmm. right, when your current board member, David McConville, was also there. And I met mm-hmm. David.
0: Yes, right. yeah. And we were giving tours of the observable universe in order to put climate change in context of Goldilocks zones and just the, the perfection of our living spaceship Earth uh, and how important it is to keep things within a uh, degree Celsius. Um, oh,
2: you were at the inflatable yes. um, geodesic structure, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. See, I had you. I had meeting you as outside of that, and maybe we talked later at a different part of of Copenhagen. Um, that thing was amazing, you guys. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that out there anywhere for people to experience?
0: There are similar planetarium shows, um, but no, not not really in that particular uh, instantiation.
2: This was an inflatable uh, dome, and you just sort of – I did—I I think I feel like I was on my back inside
0: mm-hmm,
2: it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a, either a convex or a concave lens – it's one of the two, I never know which is which mm-hmm. – uh, that projected the entirety pretty much of the whole damned universe. And I know that a lot of you listeners have seen sort of where you – instances on a screen where you zoom in or zoom out and go through the stars and the universe. No, 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 no. This thing was incredibly immersive and you leave it really realizing sort of as much as our little brains can handle in a moment like that, the vastness of the space in which we live. And I I know hearing those words, it doesn't seem like a mind blower, but Mm -hmm. if you experience this thing, it's still, I can still recall it and I can still feel this sort of opening within me that that thing just created um, by showing me where I am. Did you have that kind of experience?
0: Mm-hmm,
2: I did. I was sober, folks, too. No drugs. I just walked in. This <laughs> uh, David ushered me in there. Amanda ushered me in there. I had no, no idea what to expect. And I have not forgotten it. And every year or so, I go online and I try to find that thing near me. And I have failed. It's been 12 years.
0: <laughs> you can see a portion of it. If you look up the digital universe atlas, uh, you can see kind of the tour of the observ- observable universe. And I like to show it in my presentations to give people kind of a, a visual experience, which, you know, can be somewhat mystical uh, that, you know, really emphasizes the importance of zooming out. You know, I think so much mm-hmm. of, what we need to do to navigate these complex times is to match the complexity with learning about systems thinking and systems change, and uh, the importance of zooming out and seeing what are the you know upstream causes, downstream uh, effects, how are things mutually causal? Just you know, really reprogramming our minds to be uh, nonlinear, and um, I think zooming out and showing kind of that the larger context is a great way to remember, you know, whether it's geographically or temporally or across sectors, you know, how can we all zoom out a little bit more? Eisenhower said, uh, if you can't solve a problem, enlarge it. And I think it's so important that we do that. And, you know, because if we don't, it's like, it's like all of the complex crises of today are, are somewhat of a Gordian knot, you know, this knot that like if you mm-hmm. pull on one thread, it actually just makes the whole thing tighter. Um, but if you are solving for pattern, what Wendell Berry calls solving for pattern, which is like the pattern below that emerges into problems, you know, if you're looking at those root causes and looking at systems, then you're more likely to have success and create real good, real niceness, yeah. instead real of niceness. just like pushing harm around the system and calling it good.
2: So two names there. You probably know Eisenhower, kind of famous guy. If you haven't heard the name Wendell Berry, folks, just write it down. Pull over if you're driving, or just remember it, <laughs> Rememorize it. Wendell Berry, somebody to take a little bit of a look at. That's I'm gonna. We're not gonna get distracted right here, but this is a a, a great American hero. <laughs> um, so Buckminster Fuller Institute. We just tell us about what. The Institute does. Um, we'll get to what you do there in a little bit because um, we're going to talk a lot about you, but let's let's give them some background. What's the Institute do? And then we'll talk about who obviously Buckminster Fuller was. Uh, I know it's a little bit backwards, but let's just, let's try it. See how it goes. So start with BFI.
0: Great. So Buckminster Fuller Institute is dedicated to um, preserving the legacy of Buckminster Fuller, who is this incredible polymath and um, poet, artist, educator, author that we'll talk about in a minute, but also to continue his work. So instead of just being kind of a cult of personality around this amazing, charismatic man, it's also what would he be doing if he was alive today? So we work to fulfill his vision, which was to make the world work for 100% of humanity in the shortest possible time through spontaneous cooperation without ecological offense or the disadvantage of anyone. Which is almost like a riddle and a definition of, you know, regeneration and sustainability. Um, And the way that we do that is working through three different uh, audiences. One is innovators, another is creators, and the third one is learners. So with innovators, we have a program called Regenerosity, where we find kind of the Buckminster Fullers of today, who are working on regenerative initiatives. Uh, We've been doing this for over 15 years with our challenge program, and now we've Partnered up with the UNDP and Lush Cosmetics, in order to create regenerosity, and it's kind of like part re-granting, and then part kind of media and education, letting people kind of see that everyone is a wealth holder of um, just different forms of capital. So we're working with regenerative Mm -hmm. agriculture leaders around the world who might not have a lot of financial capital, but they have a lot of natural capital, a lot of. Um, experiential or intellectual capital and and really allowing them to rise up as the leaders of today. Um, And we work with funders, too, to help them kind of like reorient what it looks like to, um, you know, do the great work of our time, which is terraforming the entire planet to get the Mm. trillion tons of CO2 out of the atmosphere and back into living carbon. Uh, And do so in a way that creates a cascade of benefits for economies and for biodiversity and for people and water. Um, So it's one of those what Bucky would call a trim tab solution. Uh, Trim tab is this wonderful concept that he popularized, which is, you know, the rudder, tiny rudder on the larger rudder on a ship. So imagine a steamship coming along. You could like go up to the front of the steamship and try to push with all your might and shift which way the system is going. Uh, that won't work very well. Um, but if you find the, the, little trid- the little rudder, little trim tab on the back, you know you can just move it ever so slightly, and the whole ship will will go on its side. Um, it's kind of similar to his, uh, famous quote, which is, you can't change things by fighting the existing reality in order to change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. So like, again, and again, you'll see in his work, that's kind of this like Aikido maneuver, you know, this kind of Mm -hmm. trick of, you know, things are actually more pliable than you would think. Uh, and we can do systems change if we kind of just tune into, to nature's design. So that's what we're doing with Regenerosity. Um, And then we have a program where we work with artists, uh, which is called the Design Science Studio. And uh, artists from around the world, across different medium. Um, And it's kind of an homage to Black Mountain College, which is where Fuller uh, taught um, in Asheville, North Carolina, and invented the geodesic dome there and it's a learning by doing community of multidisciplinary omnidisciplinary if you will uh, artists polymaths and in, in training uh, who come together to learn and to form community and then showcase their work which is largely around depicting the future that we want to live into um, mm-hmm. As we all know, when we think about climate change, we tend to think about the future that we don't want, whereas climate change could actually be this impetus for creating a future that could be unimaginably nice. Yeah, um, so totally yeah, agree. That's, that's the artist side of things. And then the final thing is this um, course we run called Trim Tabs Space Camp, which is uh, for astronauts on Spaceship Earth, which is all of us, and um, how to increase our ability to be trim tabs ourselves. And the next one that we're doing, which is actually uh, just started yesterday on September 27th, is on regenerative agriculture. So how do we learn about these systems, change concepts, which can be kind of hard to grasp, um, you know, paradigm shifts and thinking about leverage points in the system to intervene. How do we actually ground that, if you will, in agriculture and soil and be able to take our learning into action right away? Uh, so that we can feel that we're at least moving the needle a teeny bit as we're talking about moving the massive needles. Wow.
2: Wow. That is, I mean, folks, I could have a a three-hour conversation with Amanda about any one of those things that she just mentioned, and that's not everything. So I'm just going to apologize in advance for this podcast being really just highlights, you know, like some some greatest hits. And I urge you to just dive into BFI.org. It is BFI.org, right? It is to BFI.org. If you don't know who Buckminster Fuller was, that's easy. There's the internet. Um, He pretty much invented the internet. (laughs) Uh, He invented everything. All right. He's incredible. No, uh, check him out. Get interested. I hope this is enough for you that when we just touch on these little things, uh, that it's enough to get you super interested. If this podcast does turn you on if you have never heard of Bucky Fuller before and you end up going down that rabbit hole and getting fascinated, I want to hear about it. I do. I want to hear about it and I'll reward you with some sort of, I'll send you some sort of like little gift package from the club because I want to reward you for diving down that very important rabbit hole. Just you know how to get a hold of me. It's easy. Instagram, Facebook, all the different, I've got texts and phone numbers. They're out there. Just just get a hold of me. This is an honor system thing, right? You could totally BS and just say, Yeah, man, I just learned about them, I never heard about them before. <laughs> nah. For those of you who are are Bucky Virgins, I want you to uh I want you to get excited and get back to me. Okay, so I don't know how you're going to really describe Buckminster Fuller to people briefly. (laughs) Like, that's kind of ridiculous. (laughs) Uh, Like, the highlights alone could take forever. It's kind of like trying to summarize uh, Nikola Tesla. If he had, like, Frank Lloyd Wright's design and architecture skills with – Who's somebody compassionate? The Dalai Lama, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like he was a super polymath, super brain, uh, super heart. Mm-hmm. So do your best. Give us your take on who Bucky was and why people should give a damn.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was called the Benjamin Franklin of the space age or the Leonardo da Vinci of the 20th century. Um, so if you're familiar with either of those individuals, he was a, a polymath. I hope so. Worked across many different disciplines and encouraged others to be similarly, um, you know, exposed to as many different, um, schools of thought as possible and really issued the, the over specialization of our current, you know, modern industrialized, um, culture. Like we take the smartest people and we say, Oh, you should study this like very warm little peptide. Um, you know, instead of saying, Literally. Let's, let's celebrate and say, let's all be generalists and look across, um, You know, how can we apply principles of ballet to architecture and, you know, mash it all up in order to really be innovative? Uh, His most popular book, Operating Manual for Spaceship Earth, was written in the late 60s. And it opens with this passage of if you were on a shipwreck and you found yourself in the water afterwards and a piano top came along, it would, you know, serve just well enough as a flotation, device, and you would hold on to it. But if you were to set out to design yourself a personal flotation device, it would look nothing like a piano top. And how many piano tops are we holding on to around the world right now, just because they're the convenient status quo of yesterday that came, to, you know, floating along. And so he he called his kind of way of thinking and way of inventing, you know, similar to Leonardo da Vinci was all about learning by doing and created dozens and dozens of artifacts and, and patents. Um, And the way he did that was what he called comprehensive anticipatory design science. Uh, So similar to a lot of his phrases, it's a lot to hold in your mind, but comprehensive is thinking in systems. As I was speaking to earlier, you know, always zooming out and thinking long, thinking wide, you know, thinking big. Anticipatory is, you know, future proofing whatever you're doing. So looking at trend lines over headlines, you know, what what does the future hold that you can anticipate and, and integrate into whatever you're, you're uh, designing, whether that's an actual artifact or an intervention or a strategy? And then design, you know, design science is is about kind of the way that the world will be Um, design, you know, creating intentionally learning by doing have a bias towards action and towards creation. And then science, you know, what are those repeatable laws of nature, he was always looking to nature for design inspiration, uh, which is how he designed the geodesic dome, which is one of the things he's most popular for he was looking at a dandelion. Um, He also popularized the word synergy. Uh, He influenced the design of the soccer ball and, uh, and many other things he um, was, after he passed away, the carbon 60 was, um, was discovered, which is when 60 carbon atoms come together. And it was named the Buckminster Fullerene, uh, because it looks like a, a geodesic dome. And it was kind of this, you know, poetic affirmation of the work that he did, that molecules actually come together in the same way that he discovered um, and utilized in his inventions. So he's kind of, you know, like a futurist, humanitarian, biomimicry, you know, as you said, very compassionate person that, that really leaned into technology and was known for saying that we'll build all the right technology for all the wrong reasons first. But then we'll have that technology Mm. ready to go and ready to kind of be upcycled into this different understanding of the world. Um, And in 1970, he said that we had crossed a very important threshold where we now actually had the technological capability of taking care of everyone, every single person on the planet at a higher standard of living than any had ever known to that time. And he said it would take about 50 years from 1970, do the math, uh, for the world to catch up to that different way of understanding. You know, if you look at game theory, it's, you know, zero sum to win for all or uh, scarcity to sufficiency, however you want to frame it. But he, would say, he said all the institutions will kind of feel like they're maybe crumbling about 50 years from now and being rebuilt. Uh, so yeah, so here we are. Maybe,
2: yeah. <laughs> Might feel like that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so your big takeaway, folks, that's that's just a small snippet, but what I want you to really think about is, you know, the obvious, which is that Buckminster Fuller invented the soccer ball. So, <laughs> and they, they've created a whole institute after him to further the sport of soccer. Some call it football, others it's call so it nice. soccer. Yeah. Um, can I get you to, because a lot of the, the focus of this podcast is of nice work is to talk about these moments these leap of faith moments when when somebody decided when their career just kicked off and for bucky there's a very famous experience that is often repeated um like either i can read the wiki entry or you can just give us the the Buckminster fuller lake michigan experience because mm-hmm. i think it is one hell of an experience and you know i want to get it out there
0: yeah yeah it's a uh, trigger warning Fuller was was considering whether his life was worth living. Um, so he was 32, and he was bankrupt once again. And his first daughter had passed away. He blamed himself for it because they had a drafty house and he didn't have the money to take care of her. Their second daughter was a newborn. And he lost his job yet again. He was an alcoholic and pretty downtrodden, had just gotten a life insurance policy and did the math and said, you know, this life insurance policy will probably bring in more money year on year for my uh, wife and and infant than I could ever. And so, you know, just mathematically, I should, should take my life. So he's on the shores of Lake Michigan and he's about to walk into the waters and, you know, drown himself. And all of a sudden he heard a voice say, Yours is not your life to take, for you belong to the universe. And from that moment on, he called himself Guinea Pig B, considered his life an experiment to see what one bankrupt alcoholic individual with no special powers really could do on Mm -hmm. behalf of all of humanity. And, you know, people after that would, you know, Got a lot of accolades for the work he did because of this dedication, and people would often say, "Oh, like you're so amazing." He'd say, "I'm not anything. I'm just a tremendous bundle of experiences." Uh, He was very humble in his work, and I think it comes from that that moment of yeah, sliding doors of you know, really an ego side rather than a a suicide saying his his life was not his life for him. His life was his life for all.
2: That is some. Really powerful sort of come to Jesus stuff right there, really, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, this life changing external or maybe it's internal being externalized, you know, teaching that descends upon a person and Mm -hmm. and focuses them for the rest of their lives. That's incredible. That's rare. And when you think about his work subsequently and you you know of that story, it's it's I don't know, to me, again, it just adds to the heart of the whole thing. He's not just this, you know, mathematician type or somebody who's trying to architect the earth. He's doing it because, like you said, he's considering himself this this guinea pig, right? I've got nothing. I've got nothing, y'all. And I'm gonna try to help the world as much as I can. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And away he went. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Uh, it's one heck of a moment. So thanks for relating it like that. Mm-hmm. That's that's great. Mm-hmm. I haven't had a moment like that. I, I kind of hope I don't. It's scary. Can you think of If you had a moment like that, your, your whole life, you'd have to drop everything
0: mm-hmm.
2: and be dedicated to this new thing. I wonder how much of us don't have those because we're just afraid of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he was... He said he didn't speak much for the next two years um, just because he was kind of reorienting how to even use the English language, how to relate to others uh, in this newfound embodiment of belonging to the universe rather than himself.
2: Um, Oh, so that's when he just started making up a bunch of big words, huh?
0: (laughs) He tried to be so specific with every term that he became completely unintelligible. Um, Yeah, he, he... I think he was much more of a poet than most people recognize him for, you know, much more of a performance artist uh, using terms of engineering and, and, you know, economics in order to get people to pay attention to him.
2: Like, What's his Goldilocks book? I have a couple of copies. Tetris of- scroll. Of it. Tetris scroll. I kind of hints at that. Don't you think, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, like it's that book's a trip. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's it. So, Remember earlier, folks, I was challenging you to dive into Bucky. All right. Whoever dives in and sends me just the the coolest story, the story that I appreciate the most, this isn't a random chance thing. I'll send you a copy of what's the full title? Tetris Goldilocks and the Three Bucky Tubes or something. I don't know.
0: (laughs) The Three Bears, I think.
2: I'll send you a cool book. How's that? Yeah. That's you. you when you see it, you'll appreciate it. Yeah. Right? I I hope. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the institute. Back to the institute for a second. You guys have something that's like you know we have the super nice club, be nice challenge, mm-hmm. um, and you kind of copied it, mm-hmm. but somehow you did it like twenty years before us. I'm Not sure because <laughs> you know times weird, uh, and it's also a little bit bigger and bolder. It's called the the BFI challenge, right? Mm-hmm.
0: The Fuller challenge. Mm-hmm.
2: The Fuller Challenge. I'm gonna I'm gonna read from your from your website because there's a great little piece on there just to kind of set it up. And the Fuller Challenge is amazing. Uh, in 2010, Fuller challenged juror David Orr. The esteemed sustainability educator and author, who I've been, I've had the great honor of meeting and working with. By the way, David Orr, uh,
0: David, I'm sure you're listening. So what's up? Um, he has my favorite David, quote about hope. He said, "Hope." He says, "Hope is a verb with its sleeves rolled up."
2: Hope is a verb with oh yeah, I like it. Yeah. It's tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, David Orr remarked that human civilization has entered the historical equivalent of shooting the dangerous rapids of a treacherous whitewater river with a broken paddle, blindfolded. Buckminster Fuller put it in stark relief with this famous question, are we heading toward utopia or oblivion? He challenged his contemporaries to creatively respond to the urgency of the moment by reframing the crisis as an opportunity, as Amanda was talking about earlier, pointing to humanity's option to make it, to live successfully without compromising the ability for all of life to thrive. Fuller demonstrated through his research and design practice that the resources needed for all forms of life on the planet to live in relative peace and prosperity exist. Creatively deployed, these resources are more than enough to raise the standard of living for everybody. And this is the part I love. Bear with me. Thanks, everybody. He called for a revolution by design, not political or military, but a revolution driven by the problem-solving creativity of design combined with this is important, the empirical demands of science um, and that's kind of where the fuller challenge prize program you guys reintroduced didn't he have a uh, some sort of open call I'm trying to remember from the page back in the 60s he did something and then you guys are redoing it or is the 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 challenge brand new from scratch
0: the challenge is brand new he did have the design okay. science right. decade in the 60s which was an inspiration. Oh, okay to say, in 10 years, we can reform all of humanity.
2: So tell us about the the Fuller Ch- Challenge Prize, some prize winners, um, all
0: about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the Fuller Challenge is a $100,000 award uh, to kind of the most... Bucky-like person or organization that we can find. Um, And it's really not about him. It's about um, the principles that he tuned into. So how can we cooperate with nature uh, rather than kind of fighting it? How can we accentuate the innate healing capacity and kind of regenerative function of nature in order to create a world that works for all? And one of the winners was the um, Savory Institute and they work on regenerating soil and ecosystems through grazing animals in a different way that mimics how animals have co-evolved with grasslands around the world. And they manage for complexity, kind of what I was speaking to earlier and, and really integrate this systems lens of the world, more of a dynamic way of looking at the world, uh, which is akin Mm -hmm. to a lot of indigenous uh, wisdom and ancient wisdom traditions. So if anyone's read the book, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer, she tells the story of uh, her Native American language, which is 70% verbs and 30% nouns whereas English is the opposite. Mm. You know, all these different wow. ways of kind of relating to the world as as dynamics between parts rather than parts functioning. Um, and so the Savory Institute looks at the dynamic between you know, hydrological systems and soil systems and uh, biodiversity and how to manage for that by moving cattle around um, in the same way that they would if there was a predator. So they move in smaller packs and kind of disturb soil uh, once and then keep on moving along so that the soil and the plants kind of, you know, if they get disturbed just a little bit, then they kind of get activated and and grow more. And that can bring back streams. It can bring back pollinators. It can create a whole cascade of value and and life within an ecosystem. And so now we're working with the Savory Institute and many other partners and and winners of the challenge with our work with Regenerosity. Um, So the goal there is to catalyze $10 billion over this decade toward regenerative initiatives. uh, And in doing so, create these cascading benefits. So in the same way that there's kind of these runaway effects of like the military industrial complex that just kind of feeds on itself and creates extraction and and degeneration all over the world, that same runaway effect, that same domino effect can actually happen on the positive side. Uh, If you create kind of these triggers of value, you can create more Mm -hmm. biodiversity, more livelihoods. Um, If you look at like large scale ecosystem restoration, like this project in China called the Los Plateau project, you can see in one generation families increased their income a thousand X, no joke, where like there was families where grandparents were not eating so that their grandchildren could eat like that level of poverty to those grandchildren now having neuroscience degrees. Wow, <laughs> And that's wow. just by focusing on the land and, and it creates this incredible cascading benefit, this domino effect of, of value. So that's what we're encouraging with Regenerosity. We're uh, looking for funders and philanthropists that want to you know, reverse global warming, balance the carbon cycle, alleviate poverty, and have this like, multi-pronged approach, uh, and then you know, enable this kind of whole cascade of healing around the world.
2: So, do you work with, consult with, advise venture capitalists in your area, uh, or is it mostly large, you know, benefactor types? Mm-hmm. Or they do you do you show like, hey, this is also you know pretty darn profitable?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right now we're focusing on philanthropy as a way to kind of start the flywheel of. Of mm-hmm. benefit and value but there's definitely a lot of room for investment a lot of room for innovative financial mechanisms and tools um to to help see it going but i don't know if anyone's read the news or anything but we're up against the wall the um the window of opportunity for uh preventing the tipping points the the you know the cascade of kind of points of no return within climate are Mm -hmm. unfortunately maybe have already started. We're within the window of opportunity, um, closing, uh, zone (laughs) of history. So we need to do things as fast as possible. And we see philanthropy as, um, as uniquely positioned to kind of spark these things that can then call for any type of you know combination of government grants loans subsidy programs BC you know and other forms of capital but philanthropy ideally can move faster um, and really kick everything off.
2: Well, I've asked uh, I've asked McKenzie to give a look at one of uh, you know uh, Scott, uh, one of the Post Carbon Institute's uh, fellows already. You know, um, Bill Ryerson of Population Media. So, Mackenzie, I'm sure you're listening to this episode as well. Maybe throw a couple billion over here at BFI, and any any of your friends over you know in Menlo Park, Sand Hill area. You know, y'all might just want to give Amanda a call just to feel good about yourself right <laughs> cuz the the cars and the planes and the 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 really fancy pokemon cards that you guys still collect <laughs> it's weird you know they're not going to feel as good as saving the world right you can basically be the avengers guys so st- gals step up his time it really is yeah. time
0: yeah um, because we've done, we've run these prize programs we have all these projects that have been vetted um and so we're confident that we're you know one of the fastest ways to turn financial capital into living mm-hmm. capital uh which is what needs to happen asap and along with obviously scaling renewable energy as fast as possible but luckily there's already some good market incentives that are helping take care of that though it needs help as well
2: so let's go back. We just talked about the the Lake Michigan uh, experience for Bucky. What about you? I, I know that you went to school to get into sort of saving the planet at Clark uh, and the Presidio School of Management. And your career has just, you know, when I look at LinkedIn, it's shown this strong, consistent arc, you know, doing just that. You were, when we met, you were with Bill McKibben uh, and his influential350.org. Somebody else to look up, folks, Bill McKibben, really sweetheart of a human being, and um, who's done a lot of great stuff too. Bill McKibben, MC Kibben, K-I-B-B-E-N. And then you did work. I'm going to call it pioneering work because it sounds good. And I think it is in biochar, teaching environmental study. Biochar is another thing to look into folks. All right. Biochar, just like it sounds, look it up. Important stuff. Teaching environmental studies, up and coming students at the Presidio graduate school. You founded Project Drawdown, which is a big deal. And now you're sitting, uh, working with your peers atop BFI. So done a bunch of stuff. You're going to do a lot more. When did it start for you? Do you remember like a moment when young Amanda looked around and thought, damn, (laughs) you know, I need to get in the Mm -hmm. game.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'd say it was my whole life. And also there was a very pivotal moment, uh, in 2006, but my, my parents are anthropologists and I grew up around the world and, um, just from a young age, saw a lot of inequity and felt disgusted by it. And yeah, like wanted to be a a doctor with Doctors Without Borders when I was four. That was like my first, I want to grow up and be. But then, yeah, so I studied international development and geography at Clark University and then moved back to Bolivia where I had been living for my high school years. And um, Mm -hmm. had this dream job of working on fair trade handicrafts with natural products and um, was doing my anthropology thing and, and learning Aymara. And just, it was incredible. And the whole part of, of, you know, the foundation of working with fair trade is that you, you know, really build up the economic foundation of artisans. A quarter of Bolivian's um, population are considered artisans and build up their economic foundation is supposed to be a hand up, not a handout in terms of international development. And then these thousand year weather events kept on happening, which is you know, not a sentence you should be able to say they're supposed to only happen every thousand years. And there was a flood that wiped out the foundations of the home of this women's cooperative I was working with. And I was like, all of this work, you know, this complex algorithm of alleviating poverty and what that looks like and building economies that are, you know, directly based on nature and, and working with it. Um, there's this multiplier effect where if you don't have, it's like, you know, the Pentagon calls climate, the the threat multiplier. There's also this threat multiplier on all of this work that we're doing to help people have access to global markets and access to, you know, have more equality. And so, yeah, it was the same year that James Hansen who's a leading NASA climatologist said that we had a decade left to turn things around and yeah, just listening to him and having those moments just helped me find my life mission, which is to reverse global warming in my lifetime through scaling nature-inspired solutions that spark cascading benefits. Wow! That is what led me to start Project Drawdown, uh, which is now a New York Times bestseller and 100 different solutions, 80 of which we mapped and modeled uh, very, you know, uh, specifically to see that global warming can be temporary. We can have cooling within 30 years. And I will never forget the day that our initial (sighs) science came back. Oh my gosh. I like rewrote my future, rewrote just how I thought about the future for all of humanity. It felt like a definitely like a come to come to Gaia moment. Like it's possible. And Mm -hmm. I could see it within my lifetime. I didn't know. And no one knew. I'd been working in climate for a decade and no one talked about cooling. Still, no one talks about cooling. It's in that recent IPCC report. There's a a scenario that goes back down again and it goes to 1.4 degrees. And it's not, I haven't seen it in a single article. It should be top of the fold headlines on every periodical around the world. We can cool.
2: So that, doesn't that just mean that everybody turns on their air conditioning at the same time? Is that the idea? (laughs) All around the world on three.
0: You know, the number one solution in Project Drawdown is refrigerant management. Um, Yeah, no, it doesn't mean that.
2: (laughs) That's not what it means? All right. I I don't know if you remember, but I am oddly listed as an advisor in the back of the book, though I had absolutely nothing to offer. Nothing. I mean, I remember at that time when the book came out, I was at my most
1: pessimistic. Mm
2: -hmm. I just was coming off my years at Post Carbon Institute. When you work in the nonprofit space, folks, it can be a grind. Right, it can be this. You don't really see things. You start to think there are no solutions. You know, there are only responses, and that's kind of a dividing line at that time in some of the climate worlds. Like we're past the point of solutions. You know, we can manage this as best we can, but the albedo effect and these other things have have gotten to the point where they're not going to stop. Uh, the drawdown comes out, and like you said, it says, "Well, actually, you know, I mean, we kind of are a technologically savvy species, a little bit." Uh, So Project Drawdown gets out there as a book that that you lead up with the world's greatest thinkers, pretty much, in the space. And it does well. It gets attention. Like you said, it sells. What has been the result so far of Project Drawdown? Is there anything you can point out where you say, oh, we changed some minds?
0: We've changed many minds, uh, millions of minds. And Mm -hmm. I think you know, people have created all sorts of things. This is my intention from the beginning. I, I left the leadership five years ago. So things haven't been exactly the same, but the intention was that it would be like an open source mm-hmm. database and people would build Minecraft games off of it and board games and curriculum yeah. and everything. It's it, but it is happening. Um, so there's now investment tools built off of it, uh, whole curricula, you know, across different um, types of learners. And there's a, the hotel chain in um, New Zealand that puts it next to the Bible because it considers it the climate Bible in every single room.
1: Cool. And
0: the team there is is continuing to you know help regionalize it. So now there's Drawdown Georgia, um, and they're working to regionalize the data and help spark everything from policy to education to personal change there. The pivot within the climate movement uh, away from just focusing on the future that we don't want towards the future that's possible is so mm-hmm. important. Uh, it's my favorite cognitive bias is, is called the availability cascade. And it says that which is you know this shared vision that which is available to us cascades into becoming reality, right? There's these kind of uh, self-reinforcing, self-determined mm-hmm. um, futures for us. And so now that we have this future available, we can you know have it as a shared narrative and shared vision and then it becomes our shared reality. Speaking
2: of awesome, amazing, rad, shared future realities that we are going to have, and this is what got me back in touch with you. I don't know if you can speak to it or not, but I got excited about it. Can you speak at all to, to, I'm going to say it, don't laugh, (laughs) everybody, solar punk. You've heard of steampunk. Nah, steampunk's like... No, this is a movement called Solar Punk, another thing to write down. Seriously, just write all this stuff down. You will be better for it. Can you speak to anything about this Solar Punk vision? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's um, an
0: arts movement and it is, um, you know, something we speak to a lot within our design science studio, which is our our 10-year incubator for artists that are creating art that changes history. Uh, And so Solar Punk is, you know, punk. It is, you know... Uh, about decolonizing and it's about, you know, questioning establishment and, you know, all the things that punk is, you know, anti-consumerism and, you know, going against the status quo. And then it's, it's solar. So it's like, you know, looking at these renewable energies, but also just like, what are all the different technologies, whether those are hard technologies or more soft technologies, like nonviolent communication or something like that, uh, that can enable us to have this future that, You know, you could Mm -hmm. call it permaculture inspired or something along those lines. Um, Two of my favorite novels are considered solar punk by some, which is Ecotopia by Ernst Kallenbach, uh, which was written in the 70s, actually, before solar punk was a term. But it's this idea that Northern California, um, Oregon and Washington secede. And they create this kind of alternative uh, U.S. that's based in in all of these principles, and then the other one is um, Starhawk's work. Uh, so she wrote *The Fifth Sacred Thing* and *City of Refuge*, uh, which are kind of like *cli-fi*. If you've heard of that term, climate science fiction, um, and uh, and have that kind of solar punk Whoa. aesthetic to them. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a a mix of okay. of punk and. Climate solutions um, coming together to again, like the availability cascade, just give us that possibility uh, frame that the world could be like this. Also, it's not just all, um, you know, to hell in handbasket, as the news tell you.
2: We're going to dedicate an episode to solar punk one of these days. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Anybody <laughs> out there knows any uh, solar punk visionaries? I want to. I want to. I want to have that conversation. I'm. I'm excited about it. I don't know that, you know, I'm going to go solar punk at the next uh, playa gathering. I don't know if I'll go back to the, are you going to go back to the playa? You ever going back to burning? I Man? was just there Did you last go week, this year? Yep. Oh, you went to the mm-hmm. Renegade burn. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. did. Was it amazing?
0: Yeah, it was amazing and awkward. I definitely missed the org um, and some of the, mm-hmm. yeah, like the city planning and <laughs> safety and toilets and stuff there were some good conversations about like what are the elements of anarchy that are good to kind of bring back in um and questioning you know societal structures um and it was beautiful there was kind of the essence of coming together and and you know being in this like harsh environment and the the dance that happens um from being kind of like exposed in that way and, and the discombobulation mm-hmm. and recombobulation cycles that everyone goes through. Yeah, it was beautiful. And and there was some art and the art that was there was very much appreciated. Um, and always just like an incredible meeting of minds yeah. of folks who are one privileged enough to be out there, which is a whole other conversation, but um, who are Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, questioning and really, and trying to think of what, what does the future hold for humanity? I think a lot of the, what needs to happen are like these questions that are often on the outskirts of culture need to be kind of folded back in to the center and people giving given access to that. And I think that happens somewhat at Burning Man. There's like a a melting and a, um, a shuffling of, of the decks of people's thoughts.
2: And it's there if you look for it, that's the thing about that place. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've been, I've only been three times. I think I've looked for you each time. I don't think I've ever found you. I've gone by the, what's, what's the name of the, the big org that you, the Bucky Ball pit, are part oh, of. Oh, ID? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I think the central um, piece too—that's often overlooked—is just the the way the economy works out there is based on generosity. Um, and I think that is kind mm-hmm. of like the the natural next step after you realize that there is enough to go around. Uh, we can all be in more of a state of generosity, um, you know, and and you know, constantly offering and giving and realizing that you get um a lot in return while you give. So that that piece of it, the experiment in economics and and generosity and gifting is fascinating.
2: It is. It's a great thing to experience. If you haven't experienced it before, um, it you leave mm-hmm. feeling pretty hopeful about what humans are capable of. And yeah, some of these people go back into the real world and they become, you know, assholes again, but it's it's generally an incredibly positive experience, Burning Man is. And there's lots of things wrong with it, just like there's lots of things wrong with everything.
0: Mm-hmm. I
2: recommend it. So I want to get into one last thing on, on, uh, on Bucky, just because it's such a big thing, I think, for folks who, who want to dive in and learn more about Buckminster Fuller, which is his you know, his whole Dymaxian thing. Bucky had this mantra, uh, which was the maximum gain of advantage from minimal energy input. And related to that was this Dymaxian approach. Mm-hmm. Um, Dymaxian from, check this out, folks. This is great. From dynamic maximum and tension. Shun. Tension, mm-hmm. right? You understand. Mm-hmm. Dymaxian. All right. I kind of didn't make it clear, but I think you guys can figure it out. But from this, he built what? Dymaxian housing, Dymaxian car, uh, a map, all kinds of things. Can you tell us a little bit more about Dymaxion theory, what it was? And and I'm really kind of interested if you know of anyone, you know, designers, architects, contemporary that are today are employing these sort of Dymaxion approach. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So definitely look up the pictures of the Dymaxion car, uh, which was invented in the same year as the Model T and looks today still futuristic.
2: (laughs) That's so crazy to think of. Yeah.
0: Really wild. Um, But yeah, this idea, as I spoke to earlier, just the dynamic nature of reality, you know, instead of just looking at the parts, looking at the larger whole, which is why Bucky loved the word synergy, which he extracted from some obscure science text and popularized to the point that Exxon has a fuel called synergy, which I just think Must make Bucky roll over in his grave. Um, But yes, so this dynamic nature, reality of looking at the larger system and and how things relate to one another as, you know, just as, if not more important than looking at the parts. Bucky liked to say, I seem to be a verb, an evolutionary process of the universe. Uh, You know, rather than being a category or a noun, you know, each of us are kind of always becoming, always, um, you know, patterns expressed. Um, kind of this this dance of life. So that's the dynamic piece of a maximum, like you said, is about kind of using, using artifacts and everything to the maximum advantage of all but also to the maximum, you know, ability. Um, and then tension you know thinking of tension over compression so so much of how we build is like compression just builds brute force you know kind of reactive whereas tension is about you know the elegance of nature and how things are in balance and when you have them in right balance um, that that kind of harmony creates these beautiful structures around us you know if you look at trees and plants um, or like, the old bridge, old Bay Bridge versus the new Bay Bridge. If anyone's in the Bay Area, uh, you can kind of see an example of moving from compression to to tension. So he employed all of those uh, elements in his designs. The Dymaxian map is potentially my favorite. I'm a geography geek, so I love different map projections. But the Mercator projection, which most people use still, including Google, I don't know why uh, shows the equator as two thirds of the way down, it shows Greenland as almost the same size as Africa, whereas Africa is 14 times bigger. Uh, It's very northern Eurocentric in terms of it showing Europe um, to be quite a bit larger than it actually is. Whereas the Dymaxian map shows an equal area, equal size uh, reflection of our spaceship Earth and how it's all connected. So you like to say it's one island and one ocean. Um, political boundaries are really you know, just a, a vestige of, of yesterday and then we can all unite uh, and see ourselves as as one island, one Earth island. And it's based off of the icosahedron, which is this 20-sided, uh, 20 equilateral triangles yeah, coming together know. to form kind of a spheroid, a polyhedra shape. And uh, it's just really beautiful and elegant. Uh, and you can reshape, you can move the different triangles around to see you know, what does it look like if Hawaii is in the center? What does it look like if, if Africa is in the center or India? And, um, and kind of get a different sense of the world and, and how it's all connected. Yeah, I highly recommend folks look at it. It kind of reprograms how you're looking at the world, which is something Bucky loved to do. These gestalt switches of, you know, the the sun isn't actually setting, it's the earth spinning, and the wind doesn't actually blow from the northeast, it sucks from the southwest. Just all these different ways of kind of reorienting to uh, a comprehensive, you know, more dynamic and systems way of looking at things.
2: And super valuable for kids to grow up with that kind of map. I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Right. So to that end, boy, this is an episode full of giveaways. We're going to figure out some kind of, do you sell the maps at BFI? We do. Yes. You do. Mm -hmm. Great. I'm going to go online buy a couple and we're going to tie a couple into your, um, be nice challenge, which you still haven't even thought of, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. And we'll give them, we'll give them away to, uh, people who are executing this challenge, but we'll get there in just a second. So, um, before we get there, we have a few questions from Super Nice Club members, Super Nice Club insiders. Uh, If you're not an insider and you want to be an insider, all you have to do is text 310-421-0393. You don't have to text anything to it, just text it. But if you want to text something to it, you can text... Synergy. Yeah, let's take it back from the oil companies. Text Synergy to 310 All that is, is it's a place where we can text you if, uh, So that if you want to ask questions of guests. We also do giveaways. We don't sell anything through that. It's not a commercial texting thing. It's just like, what's up? You're an insider. We kind of crack jokes and, and share <laughs> things. All right, there. I don't know if I sold the insider thing too well, but if you want a free map, get on it. Okay, so the first question is from Insider Alec in Scarborough, Ontario. How do they say Scarborough in Ontario? Is it Scarborough or is it Scarborough? I wonder. I'm going to go with Scarborough. Alec, you can you can correct me. Uh, Alec says and asks, I just recently discovered a recently emerged movement called The Great Turning, which links with work of David Morton and Joanne Macy. Uh, A couple of the articles very consciously linked it to the spaceship Earth concept that Fuller exposed and articulated. My question is whether Amanda has seen that or other recent movements in systems thinking, et cetera, connect with the Fuller legacy and where we all could, should be watching for human centered leadership on the bigger scale. Big question.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, down. I love the concept of the Great Turning, uh, which Joanna Macy speaks to a lot. She's also uh, a student of Buddhism, way more than I am. I'm just kind of Buddhist, um, but I have kind of similar, you know, uh, inspirations. Looking to the Shambhala Warrior prophecy and kind of this idea that at the right time, you know, kind of akin to what Bucky talks about too. At the right time, you know, right when we're capable of doing it, the world will go through this and crazy, this crazy state change inflection point. And Fuller talks about it as this uh, moment where a chick will hatch, you know, like humanity will be like a chick hatching from its eggshell. And we'll, you know, we've built all this technology with our fossil fuel embryotic fluid, but right by design, right on time, we actually have the capability of taking care of all um at a higher standard of living and I actually love it so much this idea of this chick hatching and yeah and then we're ready like a chick to step into this regenerative living system existence where you know our waste equals food for other systems and we you know agitate the soil in a way that helps other pollinators come in and other seeds sprout and there's surprising things like there's a soil seed bank there's all these seeds just sitting in the soil waiting for the right conditions to sprout all over the world And we see it again and again when we, you know, hydrate landscapes that there's all of these seeds that we don't even plant that come up. Um, So that's kind of where we are. I think we're like just waking up out of the eggshell, you know, a little sticky and, you know, still a little perilous, uh, but we have the potential to really flap our wings and fly. And I I see that in the great turning movement. There's uh, luckily, you know, happily quite a few different movements uh, happening around um, and inspired by Bucky sure inspired by the principles that he was tuning into yes you know which are age old and um, you know I think the the commonality there is is shifting from seeing humanity as this cancerous you know we need to do less bad uh, influence on the planet to this you know we can be these apex healers rather than apex predators and cause you know a whole cascade of, of wealth uh, and value creation around us um, and we don't need to feel you know like we just need to do less bad we just need to you know do more good be more nice
2: amen (laughs) so in addition to you who should we be watching for as alec puts it human centered leadership on the bigger scale
0: Mm -hmm. um i would look more and more to indigenous wisdom uh, leaders so i think you know there's a lot of suppression and oppression of indigenous and native peoples there's all sorts of new news about um, the genocides here in the Americas and and what happened at the boarding schools and everything. And I think, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's there's so much wisdom to be taken um, and inspired by uh, these leaders. Winona LaDuke is a big um, heroine of mine, and she's helping stop the Line 3 and bridge tar sands pipeline right now in uh, what's known as northern Minnesota um there's a lot of groups in the amazon the amazon rainforest was largely planted by humans Uh, and so there's millennia millennia of tradition there of living in you know union unity with the living functions of water soil and air um so yeah i would i would look to that it's maybe not quite a movement or modern movement but uh looking to to those traditions for for inspiration and and to motivate and to stop the genocide because there's still a lot of oppression happening and and racism happening and uh, a lot of reparations on all forms of capital to be done
2: and then and then cynthia m from yuba city california yuba city i gotta give a shout out to you i was i was born there hey never lived there but was born there she asks what is one thing most people don't know about bucky fuller that you wish they did
1: Mm,
0: he was kicked out of college twice. And part of that was because he wasn't admitted into the social clubs. Uh, it was Harvard. He was a fifth generation, Harvard, uh, student and he wasn't admitted to the social clubs because his father had died. And so they didn't have wealth anymore. And he just kind of was so, uh, fed up and annoyed by the classism of that, that from, yeah, at that young age oh. of, of 18, um, <laughs> spending a lot of his money on going out and having these like extravagant evenings and getting kicked out basically for not paying attention uh, to his studies. But it was just cause he was like really fed up with the system. But I think, A lot of us kind of think, oh, I'm a failure because of this thing or that thing. I'll I'll never amount to anything. And I think it's important to know that these people that we aspire to be somewhat like also kind of went through those those moments. And so, yeah, there's there's always time to turn around and like you don't need to conform to what other people think of as success.
2: He definitely had his struggles and yet managed to have 60 years or so of incredible contributions and progress. Right. Okay, we're at the exciting part here. We're at the Be Nice Challenge, where you get to issue a challenge to the listeners of this podcast and the members of the Super Nice Club. It's one and the same. If you're listening to this, you got jumped in just by listening. So just something that folks can do to make uh, their world, their world uh,
1: a little
2: nicer.
0: Yeah. So I have five options for you. Uh, the mnemonic is spine. How do you align your spine, uh, your action with your, uh, motivation? And the first is S or systems thinking P for passion project, I for investment N for news and E for employment. So choose any one of the five or for five gold stars, you can do all five. Uh, the first is systems thinking, uh, you know, Look and find for a local permaculture design certificate, read Wendell Berry, uh, look up systems theory on YouTube and watch some things, but just kind of reorient your mind away from the linear overly really reductionist view of things um, to more of this synergy inspired uh, dynamic nature of reality. The second is passion project, Uh, read project drawdown, or at least just glance at the website and see which of these climate solutions uh, sparks you and come up with a little project. Maybe it's teaching your local school about that solution or trying to scale it uh, in a community that you've visited in the past or or whatever it may be, um, I recommend you find a buddy because it's always more fun to work with someone on it. I is for investments, whether you actually have investments investment somewhere or it's just how you're spending your money. Uh, every dollar that we move you know, is towards a regenerative or extractive future. Which one are you choosing? Every dollar is a vote. Uh, and your money in your bank account does not just sleep in a vault uh, with your name on it at night, but is leveraged over and over again. If you're banking with the big institutions, you're funding some of the dirtiest fossil fuel uh, investments in the world. So, change it to a local credit union or one of the green banks out there. N is for news. You are what you read. Be very careful about your bubble and, you know, follow people who you don't agree with or don't think you agree with and really try to expand your view. Um, and read positive news too, so that we can kind of create that availability cascade. And the final one, final one is E uh, employment. So whether that's, that's changing one. what you're working on or focusing on at work, or changing your job, uh, we spend somewhere between eighty and one hundred twenty thousand hours of our lives working. So what do you want to be doing with that? So choose one of the spine. Choose all five for five gold stars. Wow, that is a challenge.
2: Okay. So i said earlier that i was going to attach a couple of damaxian maps to this challenge i'm not sure how yet so here's the other part we're going to start breaking up these challenges into separate mini podcasts that will come out every other tuesday so by the time this thing hits the challenge hits a week from when you hear this it will be wrapped up into some cool way that you can win a map and there's probably only two people will listen to it so you'll both win all right so Stay tuned next week for the Spine Challenge uh, bookended and framed with a really cool giveaway. And if you have kids, these maps mm-hmm. it really could like change the way they see the world for the rest of their lives. Literally. Yeah. It will actually change the way they see the world from a satellite's eye view, which is a really powerful view. Okay. Thank you for that challenge. That is awesome. And then do you have a question for me? You can ask anything you want. Fire away. You get to be the host for a second. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I'm wondering what what inspires hope in you and hope in the David Orr way of, of a, you know, very action-oriented verb with its sleeves rolled up.
2: That's a great question because I've struggled with being inspired with hope. Uh, I've often had a, it's what some would call pessimistic view on the future, and I would re- reply, not it's just informed. And because I would get all this information that said, you know, we're kind of screwed and what we can do is respond. Uh, It's it's too late for solutions, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then when I would look around the world around me uh, and see people in my mind sort of paying attention to the wrong things, I would kind of fall into a challenging headspace. That said, what gives me hope now is being able to in the last couple of years, break out of my routine, you know the the people that I was talking to who all sort of are wonderful people, but they all sort of you know you you pick your crowd so you're reinforcing your preferred worldview, even sort of subconsciously by gravitating towards people who share that, right More lately, I've been challenged more by bigger, brighter, bolder, more beautiful people than myself. Uh, who have asked me or shoved me or punched me in the jaw and said, hey, um, there are other ways of looking at this. Just like you were saying earlier that there are possibly some ways that we can solve for crisis, no matter how big the crisis. And I'm starting – I'm not going to say that I'm there yet. I wish I was. I'm not going to say that I'm there yet where I fully believe humanity with the right technology and the right dedication and the right leadership can reverse climate change. Um I'm am but I'm coming around to the point where I think we can create a beautiful place for the living and non-living constituents uh you know the, the, of, of for our planet. I think it I definitely think it's possible. I don't know if we can do it without avoiding some very inglorious times between now and then. That's where I'm still hung up. Can we do it without some ugly in the middle? Um, I don't know, but I am convinced and I do have hope that we that there's a solar punk future out there for us. I don't think we're living inside, um, you know, a video game somewhere. I think we're living right here on this planet uh, and, and beyond it at the same time. And I think that we can, I think we can make it better. Talking to you gives me hope. Talking to the people on this podcast that are dedicated to this gives me hope. How can you not get hope when you start to put yourself in the orbit of people who have hope? It's hard not to. It really is. It really is, folks. You know, if you're feeling down and everybody around you is feeling down, get out there, find mm-hmm. people who aren't. It yeah. does make a big difference. It makes a bit, it's made yeah. a big difference for me.
0: Yeah. Anyway, so. Thich on um another kind of Buddhist teacher of mine talks about the importance that they always referenced on, on refugee boats. Um, So if you're on a refugee boat, having to leave your, your home country and onto another one, there's the importance of having at least one calm person. If one person can retain their ground, it can influence and it does influence the rest of the boat. Mm -hmm. And so find, find that in the storms ahead because you know, as much as I see and propel and accentuate this positive future, it's going to be awkward for at least a couple more decades where the bad news continues to get worse. Um, at least a couple more decades, just on the, on the warming side of things, our best projections with Drawdown show global cooling happening in 2053. And so there's you know, uh, these coming three decades of extreme weather caused by that um, extra heat and the political and economic and food insecurity that comes from that. Um, But then there's also the response from that insecurity of, you know, decentralizing the world. So much of the fragility of this moment is because of over-centralization. And so as things kind of crumble, I think the the decentralization of knowing your neighbors and creating mutual aid networks and all the responses will somehow balance out the bad news. But we're very likely to lose a lot we're already losing so many species, uh, so many ecosystems are on the verge, um, there's a new, uh, movie out called Breaking Boundaries right now with David Attenborough that tells that story very well. Um, so it's not all cheery. It's not all a nice future, unfortunately, but I think, you know, finding the calm in the storm and finding those people who do give you hope is, is really critical because it's, it's self-fulfilling. So, you know, How do we want to at least attempt to self fulfill a future that is at least viable, if not
2: thrivable? Amen. I'm going to close with this because this is amazing. It's about Bucky. After 60 years of working to help humanity and the planet, Bucky had this to say shortly before he died, folks. Just close your eyes and, and listen to this because it's beautiful. I am now close to 88, and I am confident that the only thing important about me is that I am an average healthy human. I am also a living case history of a thoroughly documented half century search and research project designed to discover what, if anything, an unknown moneyless individual with a dependent wife and newborn child might be able to do effectively on behalf of all humanity that cannot be accomplished by great nations, great religions, or private enterprise, no matter how rich or powerfully armed. Like that is amazing, what a human. And then this little nugget folks, during the period leading up to his death, his wife had been lying comatose, thanks Wikipedia, in a Los Angeles hospital, dying of cancer. It was while visiting her there that he exclaimed at a certain point, she's squeezing my hand. He then stood up, suffered a heart attack and died an hour later at age 87. His wife of 66 years died 36 hours later. I don't know. That chokes me up just reading it. All right, like that is a beautiful thing. That is uh, a beautiful couple, a beautiful relationship. It has to be to get to that point. I'm going to choose to believe that, and I want you all to think about that. I want you to, to to aspire to living a life that is so rewarding to to others and having relationships that are so full of love like that. And Amanda, thank you for being on. Nice work, really do appreciate it. Super overdue. So thanks for your time and we will catch up at a later time.
0: Thanks so much. And looking forward to welcoming you all into our course and our membership. Please do reach out. Uh, We're always looking for more rabble rouser, curious folks to, to join our bunch and do our best to create a future that works for all.
2: Okay, so there you have it. A super nice conversation with super nice human. Amanda Ravenhill of Buckminster Fuller Institute and, and of oh, so much more. I mean, what do you think? Are you a fan? Forget Forgetting Bucky for just a second. How rad is Amanda? You know, while she didn't take the bait in naming herself a leader, when she was asked that by a super nice club insider, like, who would we look to for leadership? She's definitely that. She's definitely a leader in this uh, climate crisis world. And um I highly recommend that you follow Amanda, support her efforts. Um, heck, you can work with her by jumping jumping into that uh, space-time continuum-bending regenerative agriculture class that she'll be teaching. She didn't pitch it like that. I'm pitching it like that because I just think it's kind of funnier. I don't know. Anyway, just sign up. The, the, the links are in the show notes. They're also at BFI.org. A few more words on that class okay? from Buckminster Fuller Institute, from the site. We invite you to join us and utilize your unique genius in support of the movement, whether or not you are currently immersed in the world of regenerative agriculture. Okay, so you don't have to already be part of it. You don't have to know this stuff. That's the course of classwork. Don't be intimidated by, oh, I don't know anything about that. That's the point. That's how you become a leader is by learning this stuff with awesome people. Okay, the course is dynamic and flexible with four online video modules that you can watch at any time. Friday, intimate discussions with our international speakers. How great is that? Real conversations with real people that know a ton of cool, interesting stuff every Friday. Into it. Okay, optional Tuesday community lab hours to crowdsource a living resource library, a team project to translate your learning into real action, and a final group brainstorm to harness all the creative ideas we can possibly imagine to scale the regen ag movement. Does that sound awesome? It totally sounds awesome because each time you take, everybody that takes this class is going to be working with with people they don't know and generating something that's never been generated. This is not a static learning environment or a static teaching environment. You are going to, by your presence, change shape, mold, synonym, synonym, uh, (laughs) what happens with this class. So get in there. All right. So if you hadn't heard of Buckminster Fuller, I hope your darned curiosity is piqued. If not, I mean, seriously, what the heck does it take? He's pretty much the most interesting man in the world. Seriously, forget the, what was what's the beer? Dos Equis guy, right? I mean, he's interesting because he has a beard and drinks beer? There's like 10 of those guys in every LA bar. There's 200 of them in every Portland bar. So, no, Bucky is truly one of the most fascinating, interesting, compelling, and dedicated humans we will ever know. So, I hope you get to know them a bit. All right, that's it. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And if you know one person, one who might enjoy this podcast, okay, two, if you know, two people that might enjoy this podcast, please forward it to them. It makes a huge difference. And also subscribe, click, you know, wherever you need to click on to make that happen. Until next week, everybody stay nice. <laughs>
1: If you wanted to be nicer, then you could lend a helping hand If you wanted to be nicer, then you could see your neighbor's band If you wanted to be nicer, then you could put away your clothes. If you wanted to be nicer, you can teach everything you know. And all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice. and all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice and all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice and all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice